our psalm lesson this morning comes from Psalm chapter 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. In his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord, more than those who watch for the morning, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him, and with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, on Wednesday of this week, we sent out an anonymous survey. It was on our Facebook, it was through our newsletter, on our website. And so many of you responded to it. And we had three main questions that we asked in preparation for today's sermons. Because if this time has taught us anything, it's that we're much better when we are together. It's not great to just hear from just us bouncing ideas off of one another. We wanted to hear from you. And so the three questions we asked in the survey were, number one, what are you concerned about right now? The second question, what is sustaining you right now? And the third question, how will you help other people with their concerns? And so for this first reflection, we're going to talk about the things that you are concerned about and then pull into the psalm to see what the psalmist would have for us. So here are some of the things that you all, our church, are concerned about right now. I am concerned about a parent or grandparent getting COVID-19. I am concerned about the mental health of our children as they are isolated from friends and social activities. I'm concerned about local businesses and staff that have been laid off. I'm concerned about the economy. I'm concerned about family members who work in healthcare and cannot stay home and avoid this spread. I'm concerned about the people who are dying around the world and the families who are left to pick up the pieces. I'm concerned what this season is going to do to our country and to our mental health long term. And of course, everyone is concerned about how long this will last. These are very real and honest responses and we thank you for sending those in and for sharing them, for lifting up what so many of us are feeling right now. And so again, we turn to Psalm 130, which starts with, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. If you were like me, and like most people, you've been fluctuating between a lot of feelings and emotions this week, like the emojis Amy showed. Maybe one moment you're pretty happy, you're at home, you're getting to watch a lot of Netflix, but then you start to feel really nervous about this as you refresh your news feed and you see the numbers going up and up and you start Lysoling your whole house, you're suddenly concerned about everything, even within your house. And then the next moment, perhaps you are broken down in tears because it feels like there's nothing we can do. These are unprecedented times, and there is no way that we are supposed to react or respond. There's no way that it is expected of us to react or respond. So all of these things are okay. And right now, for our world, our country, our state, and this community, I would say that we are in the depths. We are in the middle of the valley, separated from those that we love, isolated from our plans, quarantined from social contact. 
Someday this reality can feel so overburdening and so heavy that it can feel like it's too much, like we don't know what to do with all of our concerns. But the good news for us is that even in the depths, even in the valley, in our brokenness, it is God that hears our cries. And friends, this is remarkable. God hears us, each one of us, in our own individual concerns. We should never be afraid to share our emotions with God, our anger, our frustration, our fear, our concerns. Because number one, God already knows our hearts, our minds, what we are thinking. But number two, when we express those things, we are actually exemplifying remarkable faith. Because we are saying, if we lift up these things to God, God not only hears us, but can do something to bring good, even out of this chaos. And then, after crying out from the depths, after letting these things be known to God, the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In his word, I hope. And this is a good word for us, too. We must wait, knowing that our concerns are in God's hands. But this is not just a passive, twiddle your thumbs, just kind of wait around until something happens kind of waiting. We are called to wait with hope and expectations. We wait knowing that God has heard our cries and is working to bring redemption and healing and wholeness to all that is broken. Because the Lord is steadfast and the Lord has the power to redeem. May it be so in our time of waiting. Sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from a world of care, and bids me at my Father's throne, make all my wants and wishes known. Therefore prophesy, 
and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves. O my people, I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your soil, and you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is, I said, a very familiar passage from the prophet Ezekiel. To really kind of understand what this means for us today, we kind of have to understand what it meant for those who first heard it when Ezekiel was writing and, and working. This had occurred, um, this passage was written um, referring to the people who were in exile. This was after the second uh, deportation of the Judeans and people from Jerusalem after the Babylonians had conquered Judea and seized Jerusalem, destroyed the temple and the city, and taken all those who had power, all those who had money, who had authority, who had any kind of strength, and deported all of these folks all over the Babylonian Empire. They were scattered. They had left everything that they knew, everything that they were familiar with, everything that they loved and came to cherish and understood as their identity had to be left behind. They had no homes. They had no city. They had no country. And more than that, they had no temple. And in their eyes and in their understanding is that their God, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, had been defeated. Our God had been defeated by the gods of Babylon. This was a earth-shattering, paradigm-shifting understanding for the people of Israel. And so here they were, scattered, and this young prophet shows up in their midst and tells them of this incredible, powerful vision that God has given him. This valley filled with, with bones, dry bones, dead bones, scattered as far as he could see. Countless bones. And God asked him, can these bones live? Can these people live? And the prophet, having no other answer, answered God by saying, God, you know. Because God does know. God is the one who gives life. He's the one who gives creation. He's the one who gives meaning and identity. And so he tells a prophet to embody the word of God, to, to embody the spirit of God, and to speak. To speak a word of life. To speak a word of hope. And when he does this, these bones begin to rattle and take shape. They begin to form upon top of each other and they fill themselves over with flesh like, well, as Frederick Bittner says, it's like these bones, these skeletons begin to pull on clothes like pulling on pajamas. And they have life because the God of life breathes life into them. So as Ezekiel is writing to these people, he's writing to a people who are looking with, with hopelessness and helplessness, and he gives them hope and he gives them help, and he tells them, you're going to go back home. You're going to cross the Jordan. You're going to the promised land, the land that God has promised. You will inherit that land. You will live in that land because you'll be my people. And that's a powerful word for us today. 
When things may look, as we have talked about, hopeless and emojis that leave us uh, with an explanation and a, a description of crying and helplessness and hopelessness, that we are not. That the God of life, the breath of life, breathes into us hope, life, and light. And we will inherit God's promises of life. So what does it look like for us uh, this, if, if we look at ourselves in this season that we in, are in, that we, have, we find ourselves in this valley of dry bones, this valley of hopelessness, and we begin to see sinews and flesh begin to uh, take shape on our bodies to give hope, to give meaning, to give sustenance. What sustains us? We ask you that question, as Kristen mentioned earlier, and you answered. You have told us that you are praying and that gives you sustenance. You are finding sustenance by leaning into and leaning on your faith. And you're making connections with friends and family, even virtually, by phone calls and letters and cards and just reaching out through Zoom and FaceTime. And you're finding that the church is offering you an important contact throughout the week. These are sustaining answers. And I encourage you to keep it up. To keep reaching out. To keep praying. Because that does sustain us. Because what sustains us cannot be packaged. We cannot go to the store and get it. The God of life sustains us. Lazarus is sick, 
And this is the Mary and Mark that we know from the story in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to their house, Mary sits at his feet, and Jesus kind of gets frustrated because Martha is trying to play the good host, and Jesus just wants her to be there with him. This is also the same Mary who anointed Jesus' feet with oil and used her hair to wipe it clean. We can gather from these types of stories that Jesus was very close to these siblings and that he loved them very much. So when he hears that Lazarus is sick, he tells the disciples, let us go to Judea. But his disciples were not excited to go. In fact, they were critical of Jesus for wanting to go. They knew that there were Jews in Judea that were seeking to kill Jesus, and they wanted to protect him. And in fact, they were right, because this is the story that sets into motion the arrest and crucifixion of Jesus. But Jesus, he's not afraid to go to Judea. He tells the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I will go and wake him from his sleep. In other words, he already knew that Lazarus had already died. When Jesus and his disciples arrived, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days, and Martha is frustrated. She says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Martha, in this moment, shows us that we can hold in tension on fears and emotion and faith at the same time. Because even as she says, Jesus, you could have prevented this, she also affirms that Jesus is still in control and still capable of doing something amazing. Listen to these verses, verses 23 through 27. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha says to Jesus, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And we have to remember when we hear these verses that we are hearing it from the vantage point of knowing the end of the story. We know what will happen if you've heard the story before you do. But Martha, in this moment, she is in the moment of her grief. Her heart is heavy with the loss of her brother, frustration that Jesus did not provide a miracle. And yet, it is in that moment of grief and confusion that she confesses that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Notice that this confession by Martha comes before the miracle. She is anticipating what Jesus can do because he is the Son of God. And that is where we find ourselves right now. We are crying out from the depths. We have not yet seen the other side of our time of concern and frustration. And yet, we can still anticipate that God can bring good out of these unprecedented circumstances. We can be people who proclaim that our God is the God who hears us when we cry out. Jesus has come to be with us exactly in the middle of our grief to show us that we are never alone. The story continues uh, with, with Jesus meeting with Mary and Martha and, and making his way down to the tomb away from Mary and Martha's home. We read in this passage that Jesus weeps with the sisters as he grieves with them, and we find Jesus' great sense of compassion and mercy. But the story doesn't end with Jesus weeping and grieving. They continue to make their way to the tomb 
with these mourners and those who are curious, trailing along behind, just to see what happens. To see how Jesus answers Mary and Martha's questions. If he had been here, if he had only been here, it's been four days, and Jesus arrives at the tomb. And he asks those who are there to roll away the stone. And, and, and the sisters complain that it's been four days and this will not be a pleasant experience for anyone. But he says, roll away the roll away this stone. Make way the doorway to life. Then he calls out for Lazarus to, to come out of the tomb. And Lazarus shuffles his way out. Now, in those days when they would bury someone, the preparation for burial would mean they would be wrapped in these claws and then wrapped again and again. And each layer of wrapping would be, an, uh, would be anointed with oils and aloes and spices to help with, you know, to honor the body. And they tell us in the Gospels that Jesus' body, when he was prepared for burial, had anywhere from 75 to 100 pounds of oils and aloes and spices wrapped around his body. His hands and feet were bound with strips of linen cloths. His face was covered with a cloth. So was Lazarus. So as he makes his way out, he's bound with these death clothes and he shuffles and he shuffles and he makes his way out of this dark and silent tomb into the light and the noise of life. And here, here is where we find Jesus calling out life from death. It's a powerful moment. But Jesus, one of the things I noticed is that Jesus doesn't run to Lazarus or walk to Lazarus and begin to untie him. No, he doesn't do that. He, he calls for those who are around, those who were mourning, those who were curious, those who were observers, those who had rolled away the stone to go and unbind Lazarus, giving those who were present a chance to participate, an invitation to participate in this miracle. And for me, that's a powerful moment in this story. That's a powerful moment for us in this season that Jesus invites us to participate with Him, to glorify God, to reveal God, and to participate in these miracles of life. You're doing that. When you pray for one another, we're doing that when we reach out to make contact with loved ones and family and friends and church members. We are unbinding people from the death clothes of loneliness and isolation of depression. This is what we're doing. Participating with God through His Son's acts of miracle signs of God's glory in the world. It is around us and among us and in our midst. And Jesus stands on the outside of these entrances of our tombs, calling us out and allowing us to help others, to unbind others, to help release others from what traps us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Almighty God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this occasion. We thank you for the ability to, to gather and to worship, to praise your name.
glorify your mighty acts of salvation in the world and to honor and glorify your presence with us in places that feel like valleys of dry bones and dark valleys of death. But in you we find life. In you we find light. Lord, continue to, to let us feel your presence with us. That we too will continue to help others to see your light and to live life with you. In the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.